You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Back to the sports complex on a Monday afternoon, a big victory Monday coming at you. Well, not that big because we only got about 30 minutes of show before we give you up to Rangers pregame. Rangers playing a huge series this week against the Toronto Blue Jays in that AL wild card picture. They, uh, the season could be on the line for the Rangers this week, so a lot of big games, but they'll be taking over pregame at 530 for that Rangers Blue Jays game. But until then, we don't need to talk that much Cowboys. Cowboys look dominant in week one. We don't need to talk that much Cowboys. Texas didn't look great, but we knew that was going to be the case. We don't need to talk much about that, but Texas Longhorns beat the Alabama Crimson Tide. So that's what we're going to be talking about today here on the show. You can join the conversation. 512-337-3776. 512-337-3776 is the text line. You can also hit me up on social media at It's Patrick Davis is how to hit me up at It's Patrick Davis. And what a big win on Saturday. We know uh, a lot of Alabama fans not happy. I could tell it was funny because I, I was hanging out with some Alabama fans. I, you know, we went around. I have friends, you know, you have friends of, of all rooting for different teams. And they, they acted as if no one was worried. They kept saying they weren't worried about this game. They went into it. You know, it's week two. We'll go play football. We're ready to go. But uh, I don't feel I didn't I didn't hear the trash talk as much before this season before this game, you know I was I was not you know going out and I, I picked Texas to win but I was you know you worried about it you were worried about some of the things that Texas had done in that uh, week one that didn't look good that you said okay well the growth we had last year but there was problems there's no more Bijan there's no more Roshan and needless to say pretty much everybody root for Alabama was gone from that party before the before the game was even over. And Texas gets the huge win. And we there's plenty you can look at in this game. And we can break down and we can go into things that need to, you know, get better. Because you still have 10 games to go. But that's not what we're doing on a Monday. On a Monday, we're looking at the positives. On a Monday, we're going to talk about the good things and celebrate the win. Tomorrow, we'll get into some more of the nitpicky stuff and getting into what we need to fix here at Texas and what we need to go going forward. But big win is what we'll talk about today. Uh, and Sark talked to the, the media after the game. We'll play some more press conference audio tomorrow as we get through. It's going to be a lot of short shows this week until we get into Thursday, and then uh, Rod and Aaron will be out amongst you, and we'll be doing the show together on Thursday. We'll have a show Friday. So we'll be able to wrap up the week, get you ready for Wyoming a little bit later in the week, but a couple of short shows as Rangers take on uh, the Blue Jays this week on some earlier games. But let's get into what we talked about with Texas and Alabama. One of the big things we had talked about 
was that this game was going to come down to a lot of what the defense could do. The defense looked really good against Rice and against this Alabama offense where we, you know, Jalen Milrow, you can either make Jalen Milrow the star of this game, let Jalen Milrow go off, run the ball down your throat, have 120 yards rushing, have 300 yards passing, or you can try and slow them down. And you're not going to stop him because he is that kind of guy because they do have that offensive line, because they are going to be able to win some of these battles. You're not going to be able to stop Jalen Milrow. But you are going to be able to get the big plays away from him. And uh, even though they allowed some big plays of you know from him getting on the uh, running the ball, he did have a 20-yard run with his longest. They didn't allow him to score a touchdown running the ball, which is big. He only got 44 yards, and I know that somewhat is misconceiving because he'll put sacks into that, you know, in that category as well. He did have 255 yards passing, but you get the two interceptions. So you, when you look at it all put together, he did still have an okay game minus the turnovers, of course, but that's what you need to do. That's what this Texas defense needed to do. You need to be able to, to hold up in the middle, hold up in the run game, which early in this game it looked as if Alabama was going to be able to run down your throat the entire game, and, and it just – Texas started to figure it out, started getting there. We talked about Devondre Sweat, Alfred Collins, those guys on the inside. You know, and Ethan Burke, even though he, you know, he had his probably biggest plays later in the game getting the sack. Once you started to be able to get those guys to, you know, you have to cover for Jalen Milrow. You have to be ready for that. But you also have to be able to stop the run game. They started to figure that out. Took them a little bit, but they figured it out. Here's Sark talking the post game about the defensive effort and what they provided for this big win. At the end, you know, I think getting pressure on the quarterback was big. Um, you know, I'd like to think that forced a couple errant throws, um, which created a, a couple turnovers there. Um, you know, getting a couple really big sacks. Anthony Hill was with some big time sacks. That was a really big sack there uh, late in the ball game. Um, but you know, to 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 play really good defense, you got to a stop the run. Um, and then B, you got to try to affect the quarterback. And you know they hit some plays and they were gonna. They got an explosive, explosive group. But at the end, we stopped the run good enough. Um, you know they they hit a couple explosives, but we were able to create two turnovers and then we made plays at critical moments when we had to. This defense did not allow Alabama to ever fit into a full rhythm. They were never giving Milrow enough time to fully feel like he could get away with whatever he wanted. There were some plays where he had a lot of time, and then he would have to throw the ball away because the downfield coverage was doing really well. Or if he tried to break out, he'd get some yardage, but they were able to slow him down some. For most of the point, they were able to stay in front of him. There were some young mistakes, some of the younger guys. Anthony Hill had a great game. He had a great game. When you saw what his playmaking ability is on defense, it gets you really excited for his future here at Texas because we're only two games in to his career here at Texas. So that that gives you a lot of praise. But you, he was also a number that you saw a couple times behind Jalen Milrow to where he allowed the defensive lineman, to, the offensive lineman, to do what he wanted, which was get him behind, open up a gap for Milrow to come through, and get him behind the numbers. Because the whole point of both these teams – you're in defense is to keep the guys in front of you. You want to keep players in front of you. In Texas, at the beginning of the game, it felt like they were really not in the right places, but they were able to make adjustments. And hats off to PK for being able to figure out the play calls, figure out where to put his guys in the right spots 
to shore up that run that run defense because the run defense didn't look good at the beginning. It was shored up. PK fixed it pretty quickly, and they were able to trust the man coverage, trust the safeties. There's basically one big play over the top you've got uh, that Alabama scores a touchdown on. Other than that, they were able to keep things in front of them enough that even when Alabama was able to move the chains, they weren't able to get it in the end zone and were relying on a lot of field goals, which we talked about until we got late in the game and things started to open up everywhere. Uh, But for the most part of the game, Texas was able to put Alabama in front of them, which is what you really, really wanted to do in this game was don't let the game get away from you by chasing Alabama players. You don't want to be chasing. We get if they're going to get some, they're going to dink and dime you. We don't think that Tommy Reese is going to be satisfied dinking and dime you because he and Sark knows Sark was at that place. And, and what did, what do we see Sark do? He dink and dimed, and he got a rhythm going for Quinn Ewers. But that's but this was the difference of you could tell. We talked about Sark knowing what Saban's playbook was and knowing what Saban wanted to do. And so even though you don't know what Kevin Steele's defense is going to look like and even though you don't know what Tommy Reese's offense is going to look like, you do know what Nick Saban wants to do. And it feels like this year, even better than last, they understood the tendencies of Nick Saban and what ways to push which buttons to get him to make adjustments the way they wanted in which buttons they knew he wasn't going to change because he thinks he's going to play his correct style of football. And it almost worked. It almost worked. But one of the problems is this this Alabama defensive line, which is really good, isn't as good as it used to be. And at least it doesn't look like it again this year. It wasn't the same last year, and they had Will Anderson, who had a great week one for the, for the Texans. But Will Anderson last year was was held back a bit because the rest of the D-line struggled, which means he had to play more in run coverage. He had to play more uh, different positions and couldn't just straight up be an edge rusher going after the quarterback. Alabama wasn't able to get the pressure they wanted on Quinn Ewers, partly because of the play calling, partly because of the preparation of this O-line and Quinn Ewers, which was drastically better than the Rice game. Drastically better. I still, I still, and I've asked multiple people about this to try and explain to me how, like, why it, why Texas allowed that many, you know, free plays at, at Quinn Ewers in the Rice game. And I get, and what it seems to be is they were preparing for Alabama, and they were just, they, they were willing to do it. They didn't think it would be as bad as it was, but they were kind of willing to sandbag it enough to not show anything against Alabama, and it worked. They beat Alabama. They beat Rice. They beat Alabama, but. That O-line, that defense, here's Sark talking about the fact that Alabama wasn't able to get to Quinn Ewers at the rate that I'm sure Nick Saban and Kevin Steele thought they would. Well, you know, I think, one, a lot of that's a little bit on Quinn, where he has a really good understanding of what we were calling pass game-wise, and that ball was getting out. Even when he was getting to secondary reads, the ball was out pretty clean. I thought our tackles had really good games. You know, uh, just felt like Kelvin and Christian both you know, protected well, uh, as well as internally. Um, and, you know, ultimately you got to change your protections up. You got to keep kind of, you got to keep moving on them. You know, and I know how well those guys are coached. So if you just stand in the same thing over and over, they'll, they'll beat you. So we had to kind of keep moving um, as what we were doing. So in the end, you know, I, like the ball is such a huge thing now to go two straight games, no turnovers, uh, and then protecting the quarterback, um, 
and in the end to be able to run it when they knew we were going to run it. You know, everybody wants to look at running stats. I recognize that, but you have to be able to run the football when they know you're going to run the football. And clearly that's what that last drive was. There were seven minutes to go uh, and we finished the game with the ball in our possession. And that's something that I don't feel Sark has done to the level he did in this game. And I think he's done it, tried to do it in certain other games and maybe, you know, deviated from the script or maybe he thinks he was making the right change or whatever happened or maybe the defense didn't cover enough on, you know, and he felt he needed to put up more points or whatever it was. I don't think he previously had really put the t- the offensive line, the quarterback, the offense in a position to win four four quarters with the play calling for all four quarters. To understand that early on you're going to run this ball and it's not going to be super effective, and you know it's not, but you know you have to get your O-line a few victories. You have to let your offensive line, instead of just sitting and pass blocking, even when you're doing short yardage passing, letting them get a couple victories of run blocking and just pushing their guy. And, you know, even if the ball only goes three or four yards, at least, you know, that offensive lineman gets to say something back when the defensive lineman's chirping at him all game. Give your offensive lineman a little bit and set the precedent. Let everybody go so when you get into that fourth quarter and you need to run the ball, you're able to get four or five yards and get first downs. Because if you don't run the ball early and you think your offensive linemen are going to be ready to run the ball in the fourth quarter, they're probably not going to be. And if you don't run those ball, those plays early that don't do a lot for the offense other than kind of throw you know the personnel, different personnel groups in there. And that was a big thing Sark did in this game was changing up, able to break tendency by calling similar plays that he wants to call but changing the personnel on the field while he does it. So if you're just watching the play calls, you may not, it may not be that different than what he normally wants to do, but by sticking different personnel on the field, he made Kevin Steele and this Alabama defense think, well, this is going to be a pass play or this is going to be a run play. And then you kind of change tendency within, you break tendency within that. But in doing that, you have run plays where they say we have to, no matter what personnel is on the field, defend the run. Because we know that C.J. Baxter and Jonathan Brooks both have the ability to break one. So we have to continue to guard that. And we can let our offensive linemen keep playing downfield. And we can keep them engaged in the offense so that they're not getting pre-snap penalties because they're not worried. They're constantly you know, not worried about getting hit again and a guy trying to get past them. And you're allowing Quinn Ewers to be able to check and see the, see the defense and have them show a little bit more than of their hand than what they would normally show because they are not sure. They want to tip your hat to show that you, what you're going to do. And, and he was just starting to win that chess game, and I felt Sark did that extremely well in this game. There were some things that could have been done differently, but you know, not even having to run the ball a ton, but running the ball instead of always running kind of trick plays on runs and trying to run everything to the outside or trying to break every run, just having some simple set-the-pace runs and then set the pace passes let's set the pace those that first drive for for sark it you know it wasn't like it was an amazing drive but it was setting the platform of letting quinn ewers walk into tuscaloosa and complete passes letting him move downfield stay on the field not not run three plays because sark is notorious for his first drives being three and outs or five and outs and six you know something pretty quick and out Sark let Quinn Ewers get a little bit more of his, you know, a little bit more feel of the game on that first drive. So even though things don't go exactly according to plan, 
you're still letting Quinn Ewers get out there and get his rhythm and start to get his flow and start to feel good. Sark talked about the composure on the field of the team and about Quinn Ewers and about is this game too big for them or and can you calm them down? Part of that is the play calling. You need to call plays to allow your team on the road to feel like, oh, yeah, we can play with these guys. This is what they did to us. It's not all about the deep ball. We'll get to that, but it's not all about that. If we can feel we can do this, if we feel we can implement our will at the line of scrimmage and implement our will and move the chains, and if we can continue to move the chains, then we can do what we want to do in this game, and it changes the mindset. It changes everything to a positive mindset from the beginning of the game as opposed to a negative mindset of an immediate three and out because you took a deep shot downfield. It didn't work. You ran the ball for three yards. It's third and seven. You incomplete a pass over the middle. And you're, the mindset is now, well, Alabama's defense is really good. Your mindset is, oh, no, we, we can do what we do. We may have missed one or didn't quite get what we wanted, but we haven't. Here's Sark on the composure of Texas and Quinn Ewers in the game. Um, I don't think the moment was too big for him. <laughs> and I, I, don't know that, I don't know if that's a stride, but from the moment the ball got snapped the first time out, he just showed great composure tonight, you know. Even when, you know, I thought there was a couple instances where his feet got a little kind of choppy in the pocket, we got him settled back down. I think there's a lot of credit to Coach Milwee being on the sideline, talking to him, and keeping him in in the right mode and right frame of mind. And I thought he managed the line of scrimmage really good. I mean, to be in this environment and not have one false start, I, I, that's a real credit to Quinn managing things and then everybody else. It's not like we lined up in static formations. There were shifts and motions and things going on. And so for our guys to manage all of that, I think there's a lot of credit to Quinn too, that, that he was composed and managing everything out there on the field. And there's credit to Quinn. There's credit to the O-line. There's credit to the receivers. Everyone doing their part. But I think a lot of it goes to you call plays to allow everybody to feel like they're in this game, to feel like they can win this game, feel that the moment is not too big for them because the first time they're out on the field, it is not an immediate failure where then you have to then go back to the sideline and re-kind of calibrate everybody's motives. No, no, we're fine. We, we just missed some of those play calls. You gave them a little bit more to be able to feel like they're going to be able to compete in this game because too many times in the Sark era, that first drive isn't anything. And yeah, it's seven plays. They get 27 yards. It's not a huge drive. It's just better than a three and out because you've got to push it a little bit you got to you got two first downs or you get a first down in it you move it down you get a penalty of a delay you know you try and you get out there you stick out the fourth down and i you know people were mad about that the the delay of game i, I think that was a smart you know what let's go out there and see and push it and we're we're going to try some things but i like that he gave them a little bit more to get a rhythm that drive the second drive get a little bit more of a rhythm than just focusing on the deep now now sark was asked about the deep ball too and you hear him joke about it at the beginning you want to throw the deep ball. We all know you want to throw it, and it worked. And, man, it was the difference in the game in the fourth quarter because it was set up properly, because the team felt good. Here's Sark on the deep ball. Hopefully you guys don't ask me about it for a while. Um, no, yeah, I know, I know, I know, I know. We have to hit them so you guys stop asking. But in the end, um, you know, as the game wore on, you could kind of feel some of the coverage going to Xavier, and that created some opportunities for JT. Um, obviously, um, AD 
and then Jay Witt with a couple big plays in there. And, and uh, so to, to, to hit the deep ball early to Xavier and then to come back and get that deep ball to, uh, to AD for that, that long touchdown and then finding some of those intermediate throws to some different people. You know, JT made some, some really big plays and, as well as Jordan. So, um, you know, I think that that's what we have to get accustomed to. I talked about that to Xavier in the fourth quarter. He, he was recognizing the double coverage. I said, that's a good thing. That means the other guys are getting their one-on-ones and now they're making their plays. And that was another part that Sark did wonderfully in this game. He spread the ball around. You know, he allowed different players to make big plays. He didn't keep forcing the ball. He had confidence. Sanders gets five receptions. Worthy gets five receptions. Whittington gets three. Uh, Don, Adonai Mitchell gets three. C.J. Baxter got four in their short plays. But you're giving it to different guys. You get Blue, uh, Brooks, Robinson. All kid reception. Technically, Quinn Ewers gets one back to himself. You know, look, a lot of the ball bounced our way a lot in that game. Sure, we'll talk more about that tomorrow. But that to be able to have to spread the ball around, to make the play calls, to get everyone involved, everyone focused, so there's no penalties. There is just a, a straightforward team goal. This has to continue because you can't say, "Well, we beat that team with that game plan." This has to continue. But we're, but right now, the game plan put together wasn't the hero ball game plan. And the reality of it all was you played the best fourth quarter, and it, it technically tails into the end of the third quarter, but the fourth quarter that you played since Sark has been here most likely, here's Sark talking about the fourth quarter play because it has been a point of emphasis. Well, you know, we, we, I, I say this a lot, and I, and I know sometimes it sounds like coach speak, but I believe this. You get what you emphasize in this profession. And as coaches, sometimes – going back to year one, how ugly some of those fourth quarters were. And then you go last year where we were kind of 50-50. We played decent fourth quarters, and we didn't play great in some fourth quarters and lost some games. And so as you continue to, as a coach, put forth an emphasis in practicing things, um, tonight I think it shined through with our ability to play fourth quarter football. You know, we've worked really hard on our conditioning. Um, we worked really hard on keeping guys re- reset, get, getting recentered and refocusing in the fourth quarter, um, and and because it comes down to execution in the fourth quarter, and then you've got to be really well conditioned. So I thought those things showed up tonight. We talk about it coming out in the fourth quarter and playing. It's this return, like the second half for them. This third quarter was not a great quarter for for the Longhorns. They go three and out. They have those two big plays. They miss a field goal, and. They they have then they come out in the next drive and they go three and out they go for the fourth that's when the Ewers and we get the review and then it was a bad snap that or a snap that never got picked up and Jonathan Brooks saves it there which could that could be a game changing play right there at the end of the third quarter if that ball gets picked up by Alabama and run back but Jonathan Brooks picks it up Texas goes down goes for it on fourth again and doesn't get it that's normally where Texas would start to crumble because right after that, with 14 seconds left in the third quarter, Bama takes the lead. They go up. They go up 13-16, right? That's when Bama takes the lead with 14 seconds left in the third quarter. And that's normally where Texas has been going down. But this is not a halftime of, all right, guys, the coach is getting everybody back in. This is the biggest difference of what I saw in that game of player-wise was the leadership on the sideline. For Quinn Ewers, for the defense, for everyone that, you know, Jalen Ford, those guys on the defense, Jalen Catalan, whoever it is, Jade Barron, whoever it is on the sideline that is leading these teams now and walking over and getting guys up for it and saying, no, 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 
We're not done. We're not over. Don't be mad because we haven't hit those. We haven't hit the, you know, we, we've had a bad start to the second half. I know Batman came back, and a lot of times that's what, you know, you know that's happened to us. And what do we do? We're going to bounce back. We are going to be the team to come back and win this. We are going to win this game. And to come out, and in the next under two minutes of gameplay, Texas scores two touchdowns and ups 27-16. They get the turnover. They score the touchdown on the big plays. They come back, get an interception, score again. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. From 14 seconds left in the third, they're down. 13.50 left in the fourth, they're up 27.60. And it never looks back from that point. But that's leadership. That's the leadership that Texas has been lacking on the sideline. That's the leadership for this team to feel like they are the, the ability to beat anybody and not go down in the fourth quarter, but come back and be a fourth quarter team. They, play, they beat Alabama in the fourth quarter of this game, and that is not something this team has done. That is not something this team has done in the past. We're almost out of time. Let's hit you with a big fat poll real quick, and we'll get out of here. Patrick's Big Fat Poll of the Day on the Horn. We'll keep talking Texas football for the rest of the week. We'll keep talking. You can hit us up online, too. At It's Patrick Davis, uh, if you want to continue the conversation online as well, uh, even though we got to get out of here in just a minute. Big Fat Poll of the Day today, it's an easy one. Who's your MVP for the Texas Bama game? Tell us who your MVP is. We're going to put the poll up uh, on social media, so please join us there and uh, let us know who your MVP was for that game. Is it Quinn yours? Is it Xavier Worthy? Maybe it's even Sark. I don't know. Jay, uh, is it Anthony Hill on the defensive end? One of the players with a turnover? A lot of great plays. We got to get out of here. Rangers, Blue Jays, huge series for the Rangers. AL wildcard implications on the line in this four-game series. We're going to give you up to them right now here at 530. Uh, please keep your underwear clean. Be safe, be kind, and we will see you right back here tomorrow on the Sports Complex on the Horn.